Well, hello, Kyle. It is so good to have you on the podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing well, man. It's good to be with you guys. Good, good, good. We are joined also by Rob, as always. It's kind of been, you've been on the last few episodes with us, Rob. It's been great. Yeah, I was going to say, as always, I've like missed entire years of this thing. (laughs) Thanks for... Thanks for 2021 as always. Although, although like I've known Kyle for a while, so it's great to be on with somebody that uh, I've known and um, I really admire him. And so him and Jamin have meant a lot to me with their books. And for those of our audience, remember Jamin Goggin, who started our retreat ministry. So Kyle and Jamin are, are great, are great buds and have written Beloved Dust together too, which is a book that's been part of kind of our ministry. But this book, Kyle, is awesome. It's and fantastic. I, and, and if and if Brandon, if you'll let me, I'd love to start with this line from your book. Yes. This is from the introduction. This it's is literally intimate. like the first words. I had to set the book back down. I love this. You wrote, if you want a boring prayer life, spend it trying to be good in prayer rather than being honest. Brother, what is that? Yeah, well, you know, I mean, I think in many ways, it's my own experience of prayer. You know, it's the realization that I spent much of my Christian life thinking prayer was primarily a kind of place to perform. And so instead of praying for the things I really wanted and I really desired, I prayed for things that I thought a good Christian person might want and desire. <laughs> and it turns out you don't pray when you do that. And it's it also turns out that's profoundly dishonest. And I, I don't think I fully realized that God was looking at my true desires when I was presenting him my made-up desires. <laughs> and, you know, I, I'm struck, you know, that Jesus tells that parable of the Pharisee in the temple praying in his goodness compared to the man who beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And then Jesus just said, you know, only one of them left justified. And that that, that kind of cut me to the core. Like, I don't, I'm not sure I'm praying the deepest truths. I'm kind of coming into prayer, doing a little dance, (laughs) saying the right sorts of things, trying to impress God with my devotion. And prayer just goes to die when we do that. Yeah, Yeah, you, you, you mentioned this thing. There's a theme running through the book that you mentioned several times about God wanting us to pray. Um, And you say uh, something to the effect of, um, you know, God wants to hear what he sees. Yeah. What, 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 what does that, how would you expand on that? Like mm. unpack that a bit. Yeah. Well, you know, let me just give you kind of an image that came to my mind when, when I was thinking about communicating this, I was thinking, I was trying to just kind of imagine like, what, how do I explain these things? And the image that came to me, it's kind of a funny one in some ways, but I, I, I imagine God hearing our prayers in stereo. So in one ear is the prayers of the Holy Spirit. I remember the Holy Spirit in Romans 8, we're told, has descended into the core of our person. And the Holy Spirit is experiencing the fullness of you. And interestingly enough, we're told he groans. And he groans because the words we have can't actually name our brokenness, our rebellion, and our sin. Right? So that we're told the Spirit groans with groanings too deep for words. And so in one ear, imagine God just hearing the Spirit just literally just uh, just kind of groaning about, about who we are. And, and the comparison in Romans 8 is that the, the, the creation groans because the creation knows what it was created for and the Holy Spirit knows what you were created for. And so the Spirit groans there. Well, then I imagined how God heard my prayers, particularly 
as a young believer, when I was still thinking that God wanted me just to kind of perform in prayer. So in one ear, he's hearing groans, which are these deeply realistic prayers. Right? There's no pretense. <laughs> There's just reality. And then me, hey, God, how are you doing? Things are well. <laughs> it's kind of, you know, trying in one sense, trying to kind of pump myself up to do all the right sorts of things. And just thinking, wow, how discordant is that, is that stereo sound to God? And, and just realizing that when we pray, God is inviting us into truth. And you know, one of my deepest worries, and I see this in the church, I see it with my seminary students, I see it with pastors, I mean, I see this everywhere. And I don't know where it comes from exactly, but somewhere along the line, all of us in our flesh have come to believe what it means to revere God, to have reverence, actually means to not be honest. Mm-hmm. And that's crazy. It's crazy to say out loud. Because, of course, we think, no, wait, wait, to, re- re- to have reverence for someone is, of course, to be, be honest with them, right? You would think. But what we've internalized is, no, God, God actually, and, and for some of us, I think it's God doesn't want that. I think for some deep down, it's God can't handle that. Wow. And that is what really concerns me, is that we've come to deeply believe that I can't bring the truth of myself in prayer, or God doesn't want me to bring the truth of myself in prayer, that, yes, it was in my sins that he died for me, but now he's become allergic to them. Mm-hmm. And what he really wants is for me to project back to him that I have it all together. And, and that, is, that is devastating for the Christian life. It is utterly devastating for prayer. And it, to be honest, it just kind of forgets the gospel. <laughs> I mean, if you want a kind of gospel-centered prayer, it's praying in truth that we are desperate sinners in need of grace and that we can find grace and we can find help in our time of need. And um, so to pray with the gospel is to pray in reality and not fantasy. And, and that, that is where we need to embrace honesty. Yeah. You know, you embracing honesty, you know, you, you had, you set up this idea of a wandering mind mm. Um but what struck me before you got to that, you were kind of talking about prayer and you said, you know, prayer at meals, that's fine. Uh, a quick prayer for others, that's great. But being with God in the deep realities of life feel like wandering in a desert. Mm-hmm. Um, and that moment for me, I was thinking, wow, what a statement. And then you get mm-hmm. into this idea of a wandering mind, but a wandering mind as a gift. How yeah. does a wandering mind take us into the deep realities uh, yeah. of life with God. Yeah. You know, I, I think of the story of the Exodus, you know, God miraculously and profoundly delivers his people from Egypt. And then he, he marches them for three days without food and water. And he leads them into these wanderings. And, you know, in Deuteronomy 8, 2, we're told the reason he does this is to show them what is in their hearts. And when Stephen is getting martyred in Acts and he gives his grand speech before the religious leadership, he says that when Israel was in the desert, they turned back to Egypt in their hearts. Mm. And, you know, this is what surprises us about God, is that God's presence actually awakens the deep things of the heart. You see this with Jesus. Jesus, you know, I think sometimes we have this fantasy about Jesus that he'd be kind of a fun guy to hang out with. Like Jesus is kind of gnarly to hang out with, actually, it turns out. You know, Jesus calls his, one of his best friends Satan to his face. 
you know, Jesus is constantly exposing, hey, what are you guys talking about? And they kind of hang their heads about which one of us is the greatest, you know, sorry, Jesus, you know, he's just constantly exposing them to look at what you're doing. I'm walking to the cross and you're debating which one of you is the greatest, right? Like there's all sorts of crazy in the human heart. And what's interesting is God's presence awakens it. And I think what most of us have internalized because we think prayer is primarily a place to, a place to perform is our mind wanders. <sighs> God, I'm sorry. I'll, I'll try harder. I'll be better. You know, we, we wake up realizing our, we, our prayer life was a little more our sleeping than prayer. We feel guilty. Maybe we feel ashamed that we're not better at this. We apologize and we move on. And we never think maybe this is a gift. Maybe what's actually gone on is when I drew near to God's presence, God did exactly what he did with Israel. So let me show you what's in your heart. Kyle, you're a little more worried about the Lakers than you are with me right now, right? Anthony Davis is hurt. This is, this is not looking good. <laughs> and you worrying about it, one, is going to do nothing to help the Lakers. <laughs> but two, look at what you're not talking to me about. Why aren't you telling me, God, the worries of my life, I, I actually think it's up to me just to kind of mull over them than to bring them to you. Why aren't you telling me? And what struck me and what struck my, my co-author, John, both of us independently in our own prayer lives is we realized, you know, we never thought God wanted to talk about that kind of stuff. Like, God, you know, I, I have a hard time being with you because my heart's elsewhere. Yeah. And instead, we would start talking to ourselves, <laughs> and sometimes we'd rebuke ourselves. Sometimes, I even noticed my own prayer life, you know, um, one of the things I would do is I would kind of turn against myself. <sighs> Kyle, come on, you can be better at this. You've got to focus. And, I, and sometimes I was quite harsh, and I began to realize that, wow, like, this is more paganism than Christianity now. Because mm -hmm. what I'm doing is my performance has become me beating myself up in the presence of God. And I'm deeply hoping that God is kind of putting a lightning bolt down. Like he has a hand in the air ready to kind of smack me for not being a good Christian. And I'm showing him, God, if maybe if I'm harsh enough on myself, maybe if I show you how deeply pained I am by my sin, maybe you won't strike. And I kind of realized this is not Christianity. <laughs> Like this, it's a failure to remember who is my great high priest. It's a failure to remember that it is only by his blood and by his wounds that I've been healed and that I've been saved. It is a failure to remember that Jesus himself intercedes for me. And instead of embracing him, somehow I've turned to my goodness. I mean, it is just the epitome of what we worry about, about legalism. This is just what the Pharisee in the temple was doing. It's trying to project goodness at God. And one of the other images that came to me was an avatar. You know, we, we create avatars, you know, in the, in the, in the, in the world of, um, of online kind of gaming, maybe let's say. And yeah. I was like, I, I do that in prayer. Like I, I've sent my good looking Christian avatar to pray <laughs> and my avatar is a really good prayer, but he's not real. And yeah. God's calling me into his presence as I really am. And it turns out that's the only place he can help me is, is in reality as I am in his presence. Why, I'm curious to know, as you were praying, as you were studying, as you were writing this, what is it about the wandering mind that I think brings shame? You know, we're mm. in prayer 
and we can't stop thinking about what we have to do later. We can't stop thinking about the, you know, did this person slight me in the last meeting? I think they have, they're out to get me. What is it? It feels so counterintuitive that those can be invitations to the deepest realities of our heart. Why does that feel so counterintuitive for us? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I, I think there's two things here. Like the first is I think we we presuppose that because prayer is a performance, right? So automatically we assume that prayer, I'm, I'm kind of performing here. And so when I fail, when I perform badly, I turn against myself. And that's where shame is, right? It's shame's looking at me now going, I'm not what I should be. But the other side of it is I think tied very closely to expectations is we, we don't expect God to awaken that in us. And I, you know, I think a lot of us, you know, a lot of us are praying to a God who's pretty distant from us, actually. Like we have a God that's way out there and we're trying to kind of, we're trying to tether him to our lives a bit, right? So maybe if I'm good in prayer, I can kind of tether God to myself and have God on my side. And I, I think what we fail to realize is when we go to pray, God is already there praying for us. And we don't imagine that his presence awakens this stuff in us. And that's a failure to read scripture deeply, I think. If, if we really sit with scripture, one of the things that we realize is that God's presence awakens things in us that actually makes us feel like he's absent. It's exactly what happened to Israel in the wilderness. I mean, you think of Jesus gets sent out to the Garden of Gethsemane by the, or gets sent to the, to the desert by the Spirit for temptation. It's like, well, the Spirit did that? Or Paul gets the gift of a thorn of the flesh and it's a gift from God to keep him humble. Like, like God's action in Paul's life felt to Paul, like Paul's praying against it. God, take this away from me. Take this away from me. Take this away from me. And God's like, no, oh, this is a gift. This will be good for you. <laughs> and Jesus gets sent to Gethsemane, right? Like, I, I think we have this weird view that, that following Jesus should always lead into these things that kind of bring us excitement or bring us like, oh, this is good. Or, or look how good I've become. Whereas the biblical story says something different. And, you know, one of the passages that really hit me, and it was one of those passages, this happens, I love, this is what I love most about scripture, is no matter how much I read it, I'll come across a verse as if I've never read it before. And I'm like, I know I read this hundreds of times, but for the first time I saw it, and it was, it was 1 John 3, 19 and 20. And what's so astonishing about that passage is that we're told that we are before him, right? So now someone, someone's in God's presence. And John is kind of pastorally counseling you here. So when you are before him and your heart condemns you. And I remember reading that and just being struck that, wow, John thinks for a Christian in the presence of God that their heart might condemn them. <laughs> and that, you know, that's some of the best news I've heard. Because I know having a condemned heart in prayer, I know what it's like to come into God's presence and have my heart condemn me. And the best news of it is John doesn't project it on God. I do. If I have an experience of condemnation in prayer, I project that on God. If I have an experience of badness in prayer, I project that on God, that God's looking at me saying, you're bad. Why aren't you better? And what John tells us is God's greater than your heart, and he knows everything. God is greater. And so when we have these experiences of shame or of guilt or of badness, all these things that of are condemnation, the encouragement from John and from 1 John 3 is that God is greater than these things. And, and you don't get to project your own inner experience back onto God. 
God's not condemning you. Christ has taken that on himself. You now can boldly draw near, we're told in Hebrews, to the throne of grace, not because of your goodness, but because of what Christ has achieved for you. And that paves the way to really be honest. Lord, I feel condemned here. God, look at me. I am a mess. God, I can't even pray. (laughs) And what's funny in the midst of that, again, I go back to Romans 8, where we're told there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. You know, the other thing we're told there is you don't know how to pray as you ought. (laughs) And so the Holy Spirit prays for you. I love that God, God has done, it's not only that he died for your sins, he prays for you because he knows you don't know how. Like what a God we have that he prays for us. And he tells us, I know you don't know how, it's okay. I don't have to make believe that I know how to pray well. (laughs) I can rest in the one who does. That's really good. There, there's an idea um, in the book later on in the book around kind of reforming, redefining uh, the idea of father. Mm, um, yeah. And we've discussed on other episodes. Part of my story is learning about kind of being refathered mm. uh, with God the Father and how powerful that was, and to make that my place of attachment, which, as we yeah. now know neurologically, leads to my place of identity. Totally. And, and you ask a question, and I, I thought it was so key. You and John both asked this question. Where did you learn that you, what, what you could and could, couldn't pray about? Yeah. Where did, you, where did these notions come from? And I think we have this idea around, I don't think I would talk to my dad about this. So maybe I wouldn't talk to God, my father, about this. Yeah, totally. And, you know, I think there's two sides to that. And the, the difficulty is that it's so deep, right? Because it's not like we're having that conversation. It's not like we're going, well, would I talk to my dad about this? I mean, we just do it. We have this, it's almost like this deep instinct now. Oh, he can't hear that. He doesn't want me to talk about that, right? We just, it's a sense of like, we just know that to be true. And, and yeah, it's funny because we don't know where it comes from. I mean, we do, like we could talk psychologically, like we know where it comes from, but when we're in the experience, we're not able to kind of grab where it comes from. We just know it. And so, you know, one of the things I think is so fascinating about God is that I actually would say not only that God calls himself father um, so that he redeems the brokenness of our, well, some of our most deep relationships, but I would say even more so God created human fathers precisely to awaken the deep things of the soul so that we can know him in those very deep places. And so there's two things here. When we go to pray, we really do have to wrestle with when I'm hesitant to bring something or when I sense God doesn't want to hear that. Why? Like What is driving that? And how can that be redeemed? Because God knows it all. I mean, this is the benefit of God as father over our earthly father is when we went to our earthly father, he doesn't know it all. Not only is he broken, not only is he not um, omniscient, you know, he doesn't know the deep things of my life, maybe, or he doesn't know the things I've, he doesn't know what I think of him. And there's all sorts of things he doesn't know. Whereas when I go to father, he knows and he sees it all. And he's not afraid of it, right? He, he saw it when he died for us. Right? But the other side of that, and actually the side that really strikes me that, again, I think is something we just don't talk about nearly enough, is that when you go to pray, when you kind of, if I could talk this way, kind of enter into prayer, 
you you have a sense of who God is. And you have a sense of who God is as father, right? And that, of course, is deeply connected with, with how we think fathers are, like what that looks like. But vice versa, you also have a sense of what does it mean for me to be received? And so as I, I talk to a lot of Christians where they, when they come to pray, God rolls their eyes in their imagination. Because their father kind of did that. Jeez, oh, here we go again. Okay, what do you want? What do you need now? Still haven't got your act together? Okay. And, and, and now they go to pray and suddenly they just, they're automatically kind of put into this performance mode because of how they sense God has received them. And he's received them badly, quite honestly. And the worry is that, that or the fantasy maybe, is that that could be redeemed just with our ideas. If I just keep hearing sermons about God as a good father, right? Compared to, you know, that, that, that'll suddenly magically change. And, and unfortunately, the reality is those things are only changed in experience. I actually have to test my beliefs. Right? So when I read Romans 8, 1, and I hear there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And I, when I read 1 John 3, and I realize that my heart condemns me, not God, can I test that in prayer? Can I enter into places where I may have felt condemnation? Oh God, there's this thing I've never really grappled with. This thing I did, this thing I saw, this thing, you know, these thoughts I had, whatever it is. Like, I feel so much shame about this. And God, if I'm honest, I feel condemned here. Like, can I actually bring that to him? Or these things that we, re- we, we just kind of deeply think, you know, God, God doesn't want that. God can't hear that. You know, some of us, I think, learn, and this is true of my life. I remember as a young Christian, I, I would think, and I would even do this explicitly. I would think, oh, wow, I really messed up. I better get my act together and then I can pray about it. And so I first turned, the first turn of my life was to myself to clean my life up because I, I only thought I'd be receivable by God if I did that. And, you know, that's astonishing that my first turn wasn't God. And of course we see this right when sin enters creation, you know, Adam and Eve don't say, thank the Lord he's here. He'll know what to do. They say, run and hide. And our flesh has trained us to believe that God can't handle these things and he doesn't want them. But some of us have have come to believe that God can handle sins that are old, but not sins that are current. And so we can pray, oh God, five years ago, I failed big time. For some of us, it's much harder to pray, God, I have so much rage right now. Be with me here. Because we, we have this fantasy that, again, I think like our fathers, we, we just don't think they can handle us in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our sin. And even with great fathers, I had a great father, and yet the flesh constantly was telling me, he can't handle this. He doesn't want this. See, this is sin always tries to convince you that the place of healing is the place you need to protect yourself from. That is one of the most divisive and devastating realities that sin brings into our life. It's whispering constantly. God doesn't want this. God can't handle this. You can't tell your friends. You can't tell your accountability partners. Your small group can't hear this. Like All the time we're hearing, they can't handle it. He can't handle it. And it's isolating and it's debilitating. And what we need to discover experientially is that not only God has handled it, the only place of healing is to bring this to God. You know what? Um, I'm I just listening to you speak. What I'm thinking about is 
you know, okay, we go, okay, God is inviting us into these deeper places. Mm. Prayer is a lot deeper than just kind of the superficial meal prayer, Yeah. for instance, right? And I think about those who are listening or those who are feeling, whoa, I, I did not sign up to go this <laughs> deep. I didn't, that wasn't a part of my initial contract totally. agreement. Um, what do you say? Because the spirit is calling us into deeper places. Mm. So what, what do you say to those who are feeling this wasn't on the, the original uh, lease agreement? How, how is this going to work? How, I, I don't want to go deeper. I'm scared. I didn't sign up for this. What do you say for those who are in that position? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I mean, I think that in so many ways, that just that that names so well the Christian life. I, I think one of the most honest prayers that we can pray is, God, I didn't sign up for this. Because that is what we constantly feel on the Christian life. If you read the gospels, the disciples are always feeling this. You know, wait, wait, where are we going? Wait, what, what are you doing? <laughs> and it's it's this is just true. It was true of Israel with God in the wilderness. It was, it's just, if you, it, when we read scripture, that is the question on our lips constantly. And I think, you know, Jesus's words here are our hope. If you try to save your life, you must lose it. But if you lose it for my sake, you will find it. This, this is actually the path to life. It's actually the path to freedom. It's the path where we can finally know peace. It doesn't feel that way. And that's the rub, right? Because we look at it, we think, that just, that kind of feels like the opposite of freedom. And this is where by faith, we trust Jesus. No, this is the path to life. That it is, it is laying down my life here, laying down my expectations and my desires here, that I'll actually discover something that is worth living for. And, you know, I could just say experientially, that's been true for my life. And this is why, you know, for those of you out there who really struggle with prayer, if you're trying to be good in prayer, if you're trying to kind of stay at that superficial level, yeah, prayer is going to be a profoundly boring place for you. The second you break open these deep things, um, as one writer said, you know, when the Titanic was sinking, no one, no one was having a hard time with their mind wandering during their prayers. Um, because when you start praying your deepest desires, your desperate desires, your deep fears, you, you are actually discovering that God is with you in the deepest places. And it isn't as you fear it is because we all fear in those deep places we're alone. And if we're honest about those deep places, maybe even the people who are with us won't be there with us. God is already there praying with groanings too deep for words. And that is where prayer becomes real. Yeah. You know, I think, um, I think you're in good company if that's mm, how you feel. I mean, right. Totally. Like even, even Jesus in the garden, yeah. Praying to the father is, are you sure there isn't another way <laughs> that this can be accomplished? Totally. Totally. <laughs> and utter anguish. Mm. Um, and I think, I mean, I think we forget a lot that um, Jesus is feeling this all in his body. Mm. He's feeling the anxiety. He's feeling the weight of the pressure. He's, you know, he's physically feeling the pain of the cross. He's physically feeling the, the, you know, the, the whips on his back. Like mm. it's, it's a real visceral experience for him. It, he's not going, pulling out the God card and saying like, I'm exempting or excusing myself from all of this. Totally. No, he, he feels all of it. And I, I think it's a comfort to know that even Jesus in these experiences knows exactly how we feel and going, 
I don't know if I can take this next step. It, it seems too far. Um, you, you just said a little bit about uh, wanting to be seen. Mm-hmm. Um, and you get into this with kind of getting more into the prayers on different types of prayer. And you get yeah. into praying in the Psalms. But you mm-hmm. say, um, and Rob, you said this earlier. Earlier, You said, what God sees, he wants us to pray. And I think we all want to be seen. But then at the same time, we all fear being seen, right? <laughs> totally. So it's like these dual emotions that are competing against each other. How does praying the Psalms help us with in, in this place? Yeah, no, that's a great question too. You know, praying the Psalms is a funny experience because I think in many ways, many of us aren't, it's funny because when we, when we pray, we have this sense that the real virtue is extemporaneous. Like it's our, it's our words. Um, and so praying the words of another rubs us the wrong way sometimes. It's funny because we have no problem with like worship praying, singing someone else's words. But we know the experience of like rolling our eyes a bit or maybe just sighing in our hearts when a new worship song is introduced. Because we know <laughs> we're not going to be able to use it to worship. We're just going to be this whole time we're going to be focused on trying to get the words right and we'll have the tune and things. And when we pray the Psalms, you know, the Psalter the salt is such an interesting book of the Bible. Like what kind of God do we have that gives us a book of prayers back to him? And in many ways, what the Psalter is, is, is God showing you, not just telling you, but showing you what he can hear. And the psalmist will pray things like, God, have you fallen asleep? <laughs> Look at your world. What are you doing? And I love that because I never, in my flesh, I never would have prayed that out of reverence. Yeah. And God is showing me, no, no, no. You need to pray that because that's what you're thinking. Or whenever I send someone off to pray the, the Psalms, the funny, we all have the same experience, you know, the Psalm one, Psalm two, okay, you know, things are going well. Then eventually it's like, Lord dash their children against the rocks. And we're like, oh, you know, like, I can't, I can't pray that. And what I want to say is you, you, you certainly have prayed that on the five before. Mm. You've been on the five, right? That, that bottleneck, you know, remember the four or five comes in and the five and the seven, you've been there and you've prayed something like dash their children against the rocks when someone cut you off. And, and you just don't want to be honest about it. And I think, you know, my favorite Psalm in this regard is Psalm 139, because you're praying Psalm 139 and you're declaring that God, he kind of knows all sees. He knit me together in my mother's womb. And then you're naming your angers. You're, you name what God, what you want God to do. God, deal with my enemies. But then the way Psalm 139 ends is simply, you know, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my every thought. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And there's this honest of, these aren't my, my things to fix. Lord, I have these angers, these frustrations. Lord, I, I might even have enemies. Um, I, I think it's interesting that most of the Bible assumes we have enemies. I mean, my enemies, Lord, they're, they're out there. They're after me. It certainly feels that way a lot, a lot these days, a lot of the time. But, but God, you are God. And I think some of us think that because Jesus said, you know, you need to love your enemies, that that means we're not, that that's kind of somehow guiding us into not being honest about what we really desire. And the Psalms consistently force us into the deep things that we desire. And, you know, they also, one of the things they do is they correct our misguided notions about how we think of evil. You know, I, th- I think there's a lot of Christians, because we believe in a sovereign God, one of the mistakes we make is thinking that God does evil. And as if God somehow is enacting these things just because he's in control. And so we, we have a, a friend who has cancer 
and we 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 don't know exactly what to say because God's in control and yet this seems evil. It's a child maybe or something. And it's like, and, and I think what the Psalms teach us is no, God doesn't use it. God doesn't, God can maybe use it. He doesn't, he doesn't do evil. He's not enacting evil and it's yeah. always evil. And so we rebuke it. We name it. God, where are you in this? This is evil. And it's, it, it the Psalmist reminds us we name evil for what it is. And we also lay ourselves down in truth before him. And it, it just seems like it takes that kind of training. Like we need to enter the words of another to learn. How do I name the truth in prayer? Um, and it's a weird experience sometimes, because sometimes you're praying something that's really exuberant and you just don't feel exuberant and you're kind of, it feels kind of clunky or it's really sorrowful and you just, you don't feel that way. And it's hard to enter into, but man, when you pray a Psalm, that just helps you narrate the, the truth of your inner person. Father, meet me here. I've been, I, I read, I pray through the Psalter and I just, I can't get past Psalm 25 right now in my life. I just, I'm just, I, every night now I'm just going back to Psalm 25 and I'm just overcome with the, the good news that I don't pray in my name. I pray in his name. I don't pray in my goodness. I pray in his goodness. I don't pray in my unfailing love. I pray in his unfailing love. Left to my own devices, I don't learn those things about my prayer life. But as I enter their prayers, I begin to realize, oh, wow, I, I do think God wants me to pray in my name, in my power, in my strength. No, it's all on him. You you reference Psalm 139 connected to praying for enemies. Um, and I, I thought it was so powerful to think about how... Um, we need to be so open and honest um, in our prayer life when it comes to these sorts of things, especially, I mean, and this is cliche, almost this talking about 2021 and 2020, but like totally this year that we've had, right. Of the racial disharmony, the political mm -hmm. disharmony, the economic disharmony and, and to, to come and not be honest about, Hey, I do hate that political party, or I do hate that uh, injustice. I do hate that person, and I, you know, and to not, and God knows you are. He yeah. knows you. Have the, it's not like He doesn't know. He's like you're just lying to yourself because yeah, you won't yeah. come and say. But to um, to release the burden of it in prayer, as the as the path to peace and reconciliation that will ultimately come out of your heart when you leave. You know, when you leave that time of prayer to be able to live this. You've got to get so honest with your father about what's really happening. Totally. Unpack that a little bit, Kyle. Yeah, no, and I, I, you know, the image that comes to my mind is I think a lot of us, a lot of us hesitate to say the truth because we kind of think God's going to go, oh, "What? <laughs> You're angry?" You know, we got shocked about these things. Yeah, all he has, all God, God looks at Twitter. That's like the psalm <laughs> of the world right now, right? <laughs> totally. Yeah, that's right. Um, and you know, I, I even think about. You know, scripture actually, interestingly enough, commands us to be angry. Um, it's an imperative, which is a command. It's a passive imperative. So it's not get angry, but it's be angry and do not sin. Because the Bible assumes you're angry. And it assumes that anger needs to be broken open. But we're still not to, to sin, right? So the problem I think most of us have, we're like a volcano. Like we, we kind of bury our anger, bury our grief, bury our anxiety, bury all these things. And it's just under the surface governing our lives. And so we are on the five and someone cuts us off and we explode. 
by the way, because because we actually haven't brought that before the Father. Anger is the kind of emotion that needs to be kind of worked through in order to be kind of um, reintegrated. Oh God, I'm so angry! Like we have to actually bring it in, and we have to know God's presence in those places. And I think again, my my biggest worry about our prayer life is that we deeply don't we deeply believe that God's not interested in the deep things of our heart. We, we believe that God doesn't want to name them. And, and again, even a superficial reading of the Gospels will show you the exact opposite is true. Jesus is constantly breaking open people's lives and meeting them there. You know, the, the woman at the well, she wants to have a theological conversation about the Messiah. And Jesus is like, let's talk about your adultery. <laughs> let's just break that a little, little package open. There. And that's what prayer is like. We're trying to pray all the right ways, say all the right things. And God's like, oh, that's nice. You're really angry. You know, like, and then what we do is we, we kind of spin in prayer and we try to change subjects because we deeply think God doesn't want it. And so when we, particularly to your point, you know, I, Rob, I, mean, I think this year, particularly coming out of 2020, there was so much in 2020 and even up till today. I mean, I've, there is two men I revered in ministry that I look to as sages of the way of Jesus, who it turns out had profoundly evil double lives. Oh, Father, Lord, what? How long? I mean, I, I get Psalm 13. How long, oh Lord? How long? Yeah. I mean, it's just, it, you know, when we just passed that, that marker of 500,000 deaths with COVID, Lord, how long? Lord, where are you? Lord, what is happening? You know, there's, it's so tempting for prayer to lead us away from reality. You know, and I get it. Like I, I have, I find in my life, I'm very tempted right now to binge watch things um, and, or to re-binge watch them. You know, it's like, oh, I've already finished all the Mandalorian episodes. What am I going to do? Because you know, like, I just don't want to be in the world as we know it. Like, I just want to, I don't even want rest. I just want to escape. I just get me out of here. And too often our prayers are, are just not actually leading in reality. And I think if anything else in this day and age, like we, we need to realize, we, we need to train ourselves for reality because the world as we know it is going to push us more and more into that place. And, and we need to know what it means to be with God in, in, in truth, um, because there's no signs that right around the corner, everything's going to magically get better. Like there's, there's a lot of stuff in our country, in our world that, that Christians are going to bear a, a huge brunt of that we're going to have to learn how to navigate with the Lord. And that means being with him in truth and not praying as a mode of escaping, as a mode of managing him, as a mode of trying to be good, but just naming the, naming the truth. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, absolutely. I think it, praying the Psalms, it's like that sweet feeling you get when someone can articulate, you're mm. frustrating someone who can articulate why you're frustrated and you're just like, yes, that is exactly totally. what I feel. That's exactly what I was trying mm -hmm. to say, but I didn't have the words to actually say it. The Psalms give us that language where someone else can say it for us. Um, and you get that sweet sense of relief of, okay, I'm not crazy. Yeah. <laughs> people are actually angry with God. People are actually angry with other people. I'm not, it's not just me. Um, you also have another type model type of prayer that mm -hmm. you talk about the, with the prayer of intention. Yeah. Um, and you say in chapter six of your book, you said, even though we have submitted our lives to Christ, 
we may not have experienced a retraining of our hearts in the Lord. Most of us simply follow the training of our youth like a training with little intention and continue to employ it. How does prayer of intention, like how does this help us? How does this retrain our hearts? What's going on with prayer of intention? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I think for a lot of us, you know, there's, we have some intentionality in our lives. Usually it's been dictated to us. And so it's, we go to church now. If we didn't before, we do now. We are part of small groups now. We're Bible study now. Like there's things that we just kind of do. But what we don't realize is there's all these other, almost like sub-programs running from our previous training in the flesh. And even if you've grown up in the church your whole life, that even if you became a Christian at five, you still have a retraining to do, right? There's still this deep tra- fleshly training. And so for both John and I, we have the experience of, of, um, of being worriers. And so we'll wake up in the morning, turn off the alarm, and our heart worries. It's like the true north to the compass of our soul. Our heart just goes, where's north? Worry. And suddenly we're flooded with, oh, I've got to do this today. Oh, yeah, I got to make sure I do that. I, I, I forgot to write that down. I need to make sure that's on my calendar. I, and suddenly, I mean, the moment we wake up, our heart's moving. And the prayer of intention is prayer is simply saying, Lord, I don't want to do this in myself. I want to do this with you. I, I want to abide. You know, the, one of the most kind of, disconcerting, I think, realities as as a Christian is that though we are in the spirit now, we can still try to sow to the flesh. Mm. That's what Paul says in Galatians, you know, oh, Galatians, who's bewitched you? You know what? Why, when you were saved by faith, are you trying to be perfected by works? You know what? Why are you doing this? And, you know, sometimes we just can see like, wow, God, deep down, I just think you just want me to be good. You've saved me. And now it's up to me to get my act together. And most of us wouldn't ever articulate these things. And so that's why we have to be, you know, Paul tells us to be watchful in prayer in Colossians 4, 2. So part of what that means is we need to watch to see what don't we think God can receive in prayer or why am I managing God or what, what what's actually going on? And, you know, one of the things that for John and I, we both realized is that there's, there's all these things that we still think if I worry about this enough, I'll be able to manage it. And, you know, the prayer of intention is now a a way to kind of retrain the heart to constantly say, no, Lord, here's what my day is going to be. And it's all for you. I want to do this with you. And it's not a magical prayer. It's not like if I just pray that it'll magically happen. But now I'm, I'm kind of inclining my heart to the truth. And, and I'm, I'm also recognizing that parts of me don't, don't even want that to be true. Mm. And so I'm saying, Lord, I, I, I still think it, 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 in some weird ways that my life would go better if it was just in my control. It won't. Lord, it's all you. <laughs> my life is in your hands, and that's where it's safest. That's where it's best. And, and yet, Lord, I believe, but help me here in my unbelief. Mm. You know, I, I have little kids, so I'll get home at the end of a, a long, hard day at work, and sometimes I'll sit in the driveway for 30 seconds. <sighs> Lord, I want to be with you here. I want to be with them. I want to be present. I don't sure. I'm not sure I have it in me. I'm not sure I have the, you know, the, the fortitude, the kind of energy, you know, the Lord be with me here. Help me not just do this in the flesh. I walk in my office and I come and I sit at my computer and my, my natural, my neutral is to just start knocking things off my list of things to do. I could go, I'm a theology professor. I could spend all day in my flesh dominating my to-do list. Mm. Lord, I don't want to do that. 
I want to do this with you. So the prayer of intention is this regrounding of, in one hand, it's I'm tempted to do this apart from you. I'm tempted to do this in, in the kind of trainings of my flesh. Lord, no, I'm yours. Whatever this day is, it's for you. Let me be open to what you have. And then I, you know, one of the things this does is it helps you realize, you know, there's all these things I fought against that the Lord actually had for me. That if I just be open to them, yeah, I treated them as distractions and they were gifts. Mm. <laughs> Eka, I use the word retraining. <clears throat> it makes me think of a couple episodes back. We had uh, Dr. Ken Ba, um, mm. a Talbot grad. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he has a, a book that just came out called Unhindered Abundance. And he spends a lot of time thinking about the heart, but using thoughts as a way to kind of help retrain the mm. heart. You know, the, what the thoughts that come into the heart are so powerful in terms of how they act out on our will and emotion. And he has a great section in his book in the appendix of all these identity statements. Mm. And um, it, it, so it just reminds me of the power of identity. Um, it makes me think of like I've been working through uh, another theologian, Klein Snodgrass has a book that came out a few years ago called, you know, you, who God says you are. But this idea of, as we're now learning neurologically, how attachment, you know, the things that we put deepest at the center of ourself, and that leads into who we think we are in any given moment. Yeah. And you have a chapter, um, chapter seven, which to me is like worth the price of the book. I highlighted <laughs> this thing all up. Um on the prayers of um, recollection, specifically kind of attachment and detachment. Mm. Walk us through that because they're yeah. so powerful around identity. Yeah. You know, the prayer of attachment is, or the, sorry, the prayer of recollection. Um, so recollection, when you hear that word, it's recollect. So you're kind of recollecting yourself around the truth. And it's, you know, in many ways it's because it's not like, I mean, I think for most of us, it's the, the problem we have is not that we're constantly collecting evil things, right? The problem is we're collecting good things and we're using them to replace the deepest truth. So I am a professor. I am a father. I'm a son. I'm a brother. I'm, there's all these things. All of those are good things. Many of them are profound things, but they don't get to rock bottom for me. At rock bottom, I am a child of God. That is who I am. And so when Paul talks about put off the old and put on the new, I'm putting off anything that doesn't get to rock bottom. Some things might be bad, right? Some things might be genuinely kind of, you know, evil. Maybe I have this kind of like deeply ingrained grandiosity, envy or ambition or something. That's, that's, that's the flesh. I said, oh, no, that Lord, no, that's not me. That's not who I am. But, but it turns out there's some other things, you know, Lord, I, I'm not, I'm not a professor at core. That's not who I am. You know, I remember I prayed this, John, my co-author and my mentor, John first taught me this prayer when I was a seminary student. And I remember I was praying as a student, you know, he asked pray this prayer and I was praying, Lord, I'm not a student. And I felt my heart almost like spasm. And I began to realize like, I, I can't, I can't put that one down. Like mm. I, I, I had a hard time laying it aside. I was like, wow, God, I've really built things on this. And I, I had no idea how deep that ran. And for some of us, I'm not a mother. It's like, ah. And we begin to realize, no, like we're trying to use that as the center of our universe. Now, of course, you are a mother. Like, it's going to be good to re-put that on in the right sorts of ways. 
but you you are that only in so far as you are a child of God. And so as we put off all the things we're not, we're kind of laying aside, we're detaching ourselves from these things. Then we're turning to the truth and we're, we're kind of collecting back the truth. God, I, I am yours. God, you define me. I don't, I don't define myself. You name me. I am yours. I am your child. And that, that is now a kind of grounding ourselves in reality. The funny thing is, we, we t- it, feel, it might feel the opposite. It might feel like fantasy. The rest of your life is fantasy. This is reality. That by faith now, I'm setting my eyes on the truth. Or this, is, this is who I am. What does it mean to be a father who's first and foremost your child? What does it mean to be a professor who's first and foremost your child? And so we can, we can then kind of reorder and retrain ourselves around the truth by remembering what really defines us. And that that it, the prayer of recollection is a profoundly powerful prayer to show us where these things are, these kind of attachments that cling. Um, again, some might be genuinely bad. Right? Um, maybe some of you have taken on, I'm an anxious person, and I've just embraced that identity, right? Um, or I'm unclean. Right? I see this in high school girls, high school girls in youth group oftentimes have embraced an identity of uncleanness. You know what's so tragic about that? You can't, there's nothing in our world that will tell them they're now clean. I mean, the Old Testament, they had a place to go to get cleansed, right? So they could psychologically understand, oh, I've been clean now. When they take on, I am unclean, that now seeps down to the core. And so they begin living like an unclean person. It just becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy of their lives. And instead of laying that aside in Christ Jesus, they, they, they come to embrace it. And so there's all sorts of things. Some of us, you know, have come to believe ourselves to be successful. That's who I am. And we realize, wow, I relate to other people as I'm a successful person. And it actually kind of buoys my soul a bit. It gives me confidence. It allows me to turn around and greet people at church, let's say, when, when we can do such things, you know, and it, it makes me feel like I could stand up and shake a hand and, you know, it's like, wow, I've been using those things to bolster my life, to kind of be scaffolding of my identity. No, Lord, I am yours. And it's, it's a prayer of reality. I mean, that, that, that's really what it gets down to is in the kingdom of God, we're praying what is true. Yeah, that's great. It really strips out the, well, the reality piece. I mean, the, you know, the heart is an idol factory, right? Calvin said. And so the to get to the truth of who we really are as not being defined by ourselves or the world, but to go to our ultimate, yeah. you know, um, that's right. You know, so, so powerful. Walk us through, um, in being watchful, um, mm. prayer of examine. Yeah. Yeah. You know, this is, you know, so my, 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 my background, um, is I'm a Jonathan Edwards scholar. So those of you who don't know, Jonathan Edwards was kind of an early evangelical, tends to be considered one of the greatest thinkers in American kind of history, you know, lived in the early 18th century and um, wrote a lot on the Christian life and um, has been hugely influential on evangelicalism. And so, you know, in many ways, I, I'm, I'm always thinking about who we were as evangelicals when it, all this first began back then. And what's funny is for them, one of the most important terms was watchfulness. 
And it used to be one of our, like for evangelicals, this is one of our words. Like this is what we talked about. And one of the key passages is Colossians 4, 2, you know, in prayer, be watchful. And, and this, this is again, a kind of training because many of us, instead, instead of being watchful, we're, we're actually trying not to watch the things we should be watching. Right? And so in, in the prayer of recollection, one of the things you need to be watchful of is, well, what does your heart do when you name the truth? I think this is true with scripture as well. Like when we read scripture, we have to be watchful because sometimes our heart says, I don't want that to be true. And again, God knows you think that. <laughs> and so you God, wow, I really, not only do I struggle to believe that, I don't even want that to be true. Like we need to name the truth. And, you know, one of the, I think with scripture, this becomes really clear because in Hebrews 4, 12 and 13, we're told that the, when the, when we read the word, what should happen is the thoughts and intentions of our heart should be laid bare. So a proper reading of scripture, the thoughts and intentions of your heart come up. Well, I've got to be watchful. I've got to see these things and not hide them. I'm tempted in the flesh to sheathe the sword of the spirit. So it doesn't splice me open and bring these thoughts and intentions of the heart, but that's what it's for. And so in prayer now, I'm training myself to be attentive, not only to what's going on currently, but my life. And one of the ways we used to do this, and one of the ways we're suggesting in the book is, you know, at the end of our days, um, and there's different ways to do this. But um, for instance, I find, you know, I, um, I, I put my kids to bed and I have this, you know, half an hour afterwards where I carve out space where for the first time that day, I actually have some kind of freedom, right? The kids are down, like, and I want to just, I just kind of pause and say, no, for the, for half an hour, you know, I'm going to, I'll pray a Psalm and I'll, and I'll do this prayer of examine and I'll just kind of walk through my whole day. And there's different questions to ask, you know, the questions I've, I, and I've, I've run into lots of these, you know, one of the questions I like is, you know, what, God, what should I be thankful about today? Like, where, where's my gratitude? And when I do that, you know, I find there's all sorts of things that I'm like, well, God, wow, like, I'm so thankful for this. And if I wouldn't have stopped, I never would have remembered it. And I, it's interesting how much I filter out. And then also I'll ask, you know, God, where, where do you need me to, to be present to today? Like maybe where wasn't I present with you today? And you know what happens in this time? <laughs> I'll remember things I said to people like, oh, I'll pray for you. <laughs> Oh, wow. Okay. I'll, I'll actually pray for them. They're like, and if I wasn't doing this kind of exam, I would have just, I would have forgotten and I never would have prayed. Right. And, and what this is, is it's, it's an important way to take our lives and to just break them open to God. God, look at this. God, that student, I'm so frustrated that they just keep doing what they're doing. Or, oh, that student pulled me aside and told me how meaningful this class. Well, I'm just so thankful for that. And thank you for them. Thank you for their encouragement. They, like just being able to just recognize, God, you've been so kind today. Or maybe, wow, God, that thing set me off. I got frustrated and I started worrying. And I just, I lived the rest of my day as if you had nothing to do with my life. I was just trying to fix things, make things happen, get things done. Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, meet me here. Lord, how do I be faithful to you here? And it's 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 now where the, the truth of our lives, and in many ways, this gets to the core of the book. What if the reality of your life was the material for prayer? The actual truth of yourself. What if that is what God wants? 
And this is a way to just take your days and your time and just hold them open. God, look at this. Lord, why did that frustrate me? When my wife said this, like, why did that? What was going on? Yeah. Why am I so angry? That's not hurt. Like, I, you know, what, <laughs> where did that come from? You know, it's, it's just being able to live with him in the truth. And again, it's one of the things I've noticed about this is it helps you cultivate watchfulness in general, right? Where you're just a little more aware of what is driving me. You know, what is this stuff really about? I think that's so the examine was one of the first techniques or methods, I guess, if you want whatever words you mm. want to give to it that I really embraced a couple of years ago. And to the point that you're making, Kyle, it really started to make me much more aware through the day mm. of my emotional state and my mental yeah. state of as I process things of like, gosh, I am getting upset right now. Why am I getting upset? And then being able to go to God right then and there in prayer. Mm. But it was that examine piece at the end to look for, like the nations would say that the consolations and desolations of that sense of God's nearness or distance throughout my day, um, that really started to open me up to the truth of who I was in my day, in my day-to-day actual living out my life, Rob Jacobs way. Yeah. Um, that in the end, and I think kind of the other theme of the book is it actually gets you closer to the presence mm. of Jesus because Jesus isn't going to love the false you. He's loving the real you totally. all the time. And we're, yeah. we're so spending so much time in our world presenting the false self. Like, <laughs> man, if we can find those moments in prayer just to be drop all that weight, that's the easy yoke, right? Stop carrying totally. the weight of all the stuff the world wants to put on you. And just be a kid with his dad. Yeah. Uh, I just see that theme so through your book so often. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that Pharisee that went to the temple to pray in his goodness, mm. that is the heavier yoke. Right? It, it, it is heavier than just saying, God, have mercy, have mercy on me, a sinner. Look at this. And that's where freedom is found. But that's, that's precisely where the flesh isn't open. The flesh isn't open to the truth there. And we, we really do want to find God in our goodness. And that's bad news. <laughs> you know, it's, if, if, if God will meet us in our brokenness and our fleshness and our pain and our neediness, that is good news because that's the bulk of our lives. You have, um, with the examine, you, you kind of, let us into or mentioned a little bit about intercession where you talked mm-hmm. about, you know, um, if someone pops in your mind, like, yeah, I said, I was going to pray for you. And <laughs> yeah. then you do, you have that, you kind of have the space to do mm-hmm. that. Um, and in your book, you, you talked about as well, the, um, how did you say it? You know, you're, you're scrolling on your timeline, <laughs> Facebook, Twitter, and you see someone ask for prayer. And like you say, uh, God, please, uh, I guess, help that, help that person, you know, but it's more about, uh, getting guilt off of you. You don't want totally. to feel guilty for not praying about that other person, um, or for that other person. How does intercession work? How does, how does the interplay between being present, um, or being maybe emotionally absent? How does that all play yeah. together within intercession? Yeah, this this was so evident to me. And, and to the example that you quoted, you know, like I, I remember I was scrolling through something, I think it was probably Facebook at the time, several years ago. And I remember seeing prayer requests, being annoyed. Like my first response was annoyance. <laughs> and it was annoyance because I knew psychologically my, my, my heart's response to that is going to be guilt. 
Mm-hmm. <sighs> and so instead of actually kind of entering into prayer for them, I just say, yeah, I got to, you know, kind of help that person because the goal was to not feel guilty yeah. anymore. Right. I just didn't want to feel the way I felt. And, and as I kind of meditated on that, cause it struck me, you know, wow, <laughs> what are you doing? What are you doing here, Kyle? You know, what, what's going on? It struck me that in many ways, intercession shows us all the difficulties with prayer. Mm. And it shows it really well because it's actually the easiest way to try to pray and feel better about yourself. Like there's a lot of spiritual practices you could do and to feel good about yourself, right? Not to be faithful to God, but like I can go to church, I can read a chapter of scripture, I can, you know, and I can kind of check a box a little bit. Like, oh, good. God likes me. You know, I'm doing well. I don't have that same experience if I go in for a half an hour and pray. Yeah. I leave and it's like, what just happened there? <laughs> I don't, I'm not sure what that was. I, I certainly don't leave feeling like I'm just killing it right now. <laughs> I, I leave disillusioned unless I just start working through a list. God, pray for this person, pray for this person. Like that's an easy way to do it. And I realized that there's three kinds of absence in fleshly intercession. There's an absence to the person I'm praying for. There's a real absence to myself and there's an absence to God. Whereas what's, and I think this is again, where we don't, we, we, we maybe haven't really understood how profound the gospel is. That by being made one with Jesus and sharing in one spirit, that I actually have access to other Christians in the spirit. When Paul says something like, I'm absent from you in, in body, but present in the spirit, I worry that we read that like a nice hallmark moment Paul's having, like, oh, Paul, that's sweet. You know, like, oh, you know, like it's like the sending thoughts, like, oh, that's sweet. Like, that's nice, you know. And what Paul's actually saying is, you can be with someone actually with them in the spirit. Mm. And when it, when we're told that we should mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice, now I have an opportunity in intercession to be open to what they're experiencing. And then I have to be open to how I relate to that too. So if, so let's say I'm, I'm, you know, mourning myself, life's frustrating. I'm really annoyed. Let's say I, I have a job that I just, I'm kind of banging my head against the wall. I can't wait to get out of here. And my, my buddy gets a dream job. <sighs> I'm tempted to say, oh, God, you know, well, I'm tempted to not pray, <laughs> not, not to be thankful. No, I'm going to, Lord, I'm going to rejoice with my brother who's rejoicing. Like, thank you so much for what you've been in his life. Thank you so much for the good. Thank you. Look at what you have been so gracious to their family. Lord, I have envy. Lord, I'm frustrated with this actually right now. Lord, I'm tempted not to even pray because I, I, I don't like the fact that you seem to be showing him more kindness than me. Mm. And now I need, I'm open to the Lord. Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Lord, what, whatever you have, right? And so now there's a way to actually be present in these things, to be actually with them. And, you know, I, I worry that, even the way we talk about intercession sometimes, like, well, the least I could do is pray. And, and it just seems like a minor sort of thing. Like, cause I think we, it's almost like a lottery ticket present for someone like, well, it's a, <sighs> virtually no chance it'll happen, but you know, it's a gesture, you know, it's like, no, like in prayer, we can truly be with them. I can actually minister to their soul in the presence of God. And I think intercession shows like shows us actually how thin our view of the spirit's work is. 
Yes. And, and it's almost no different than the secular counterpart of sending thoughts for many Christians. When in reality, no, in the spirit, I can be with them. I can actually uphold them to the Father. But it also means I've got to be very aware because sometimes my prayers, my intercessions, they're subtle jabs. They're, there's envy in that. There's, there's all sorts of things going on where I now have to be very present to the Lord. Lord, I don't even think this person should get this raise. I'm not sure they're mature enough to handle this extra money. And I worry what it's going to do to their life. Lord, I'm not God. <laughs> these aren't, these aren't my hand, Lord, these are yours. You know, it's, it's, it's laying these things open before him and really wrestling with the truth. But I think there's something that, that most of us really need to attend to about, about the power of what prayer actually is and what it means to be present to another, particularly in COVID, right? I mean, we have been a long season where being with people who are suffering is difficult, where we have dear loved ones dying in isolation in hospitals. As Christians, we have a deeper hope of presence available to us. And I think we, we need to embrace the depths of what that means um, because there's something really profound about what it means to be united in Christ together. That's, wow, that's so beautiful. That is, I've never heard intercession framed in that, in that way, kind of as deep and dynamic in being present to someone through the spirit, literally. Mm -hmm. um, wow, that's, thank you for that. Mm. Yeah, you, it's, not, it's not often that we get a theologian and also someone who's, you know, so deeply into uh, understanding spiritual formation like you are, Kyle. Kyle's part of the Institute of Spiritual Formation at Biola. Um, and so I want to I take a minute to kind of actually, well, let me, let me say this about the book. This book is immensely um, practical and applicable because every chapter there is a practice um, about. So when Kyle and John walk you through these chapters, you then get to practice them and, and, and go through uh, these, the things that you're learning. So it's super practical in that way. I love that. So I know our members would like, this is something that can grab a hold of and get and get and work through um, and, and just take a deep dive into this. Cause I, I think it really will help them come to a different place in prayer and, and it will just be such a breakthrough, I think for them. So that's awesome. But you also have another book that actually came out before this um, and it's not, and I think it would be interesting to kind of maybe if we could connect prayer and your other book was called Embracing Contemplation. Mm -hmm. And so there's this idea of prayer in the words that we're talking to God. And maybe even, and we talk about this even in class, our class 201, we talk about meditating on scripture mm -hmm. and this idea of contemplation. So maybe Christians have heard these words. Let's, can you kind of like weave these things together and how they, how they interact and how they're separate? Yeah. And that'd be really helpful, I think, for, for our, our, our audience to hear. Yeah, yeah. Well, in that book, you know, that book's a kind of an academic book. Um, and in many ways, it's really similar to what Jamin and I were trying to do in Beloved Dust, where, and, you know, to be honest, like, the the, the thing that I've regretted about Beloved Dust, I, I still, um, I, I love that book in many ways, because my heart 
for both Jamin and I, it was so close to the heart of where the Lord had been leading us for so long. But I wish we would have taken more of a practical turn there than we did. Like, I feel like sometimes that it, it grabs people, but it doesn't maybe land the plane for them. And so I hope this book does. But Beloved Dust talks about like wordless prayer, which is interesting. And so there's there's kind of the tradition will tell us wordless prayer and then there's contemplation. So let me talk about both those things real quick. Like I want to say, and this is the last two chapters of Beloved Dust talk about this, where I think all of us who've suffered deeply have prayed wordlessly, where we just kind of like we literally don't have words anymore. And I think actually what's happening, and even though we don't think about it, is that we are we are learning deep in our souls to rest on the intercession work of the Son and the Spirit. Those, those groanings of the Spirit, sometimes we just pray and we just groan. <sighs> and it's just, Lord, I don't even, what do you say? Right? I had a friend who gave birth to a, a son with cancer. Like her 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 infant already had cancer out of the womb. Goodness. Lord, I don't, I don't have words, Lord. I just, and, and I'm just kind of casting myself on God. And that is a kind of praying. And I, I would actually say it isn't wordless. It's a one worded prayer. And the word is simply amen. Cause I'm just going to trust that God's prayers are enough that I'm carried along by the son of the spirit. And I'm just going to lay myself in their hands. Contemplation though. So there's a totally other side of this. And this is something that's been lost in the tradition. I think the reason it's been lost is because people, sometimes people talk about contemplative prayer. And I would actually say, now I, this might be just semantic, but as a kind of academic, like that's wrongheaded. Um, there's wordless prayer and there's contemplation, but contemplation isn't actually a type of prayer. And so we talk about this in the Embracing Contemplation book is at some point in the tradition, in the last probably hundred years, Someone confused these two things. When all that contemplation is, is when Paul says in Colossians 3, set your mind on things above. Whatever you think that means, that's your view of contemplation. So every Christian believes in contemplation, whether or not they practice it, it's a different thing. But everyone believes scripture says things like whatever is good, whatever is honorable, think about those things, as Paul says in Philippians. Or set your mind on the invisible things, right? Remember Paul in um, 2 Corinthians will, will talk about the weightier things as the invisible, right? Because they are eternal, where the visible things are temporal. And so scripture constantly pushes us into these things. And so for a Christian, unlike, let's say, for some kind of new age mysticism or Eastern stuff, the word contemplation, if you think of its two roots, you have con, which means with, templum means temple. It is to be with God in his temple, um, to gaze upon the beauty of the, of the holiness of the Lord, right? That's as the psalmist says. And so to contemplation is when now, and sometimes it's connected to prayer in terms of we're praying and we just are kind of in awe of God and we just set our minds on God. And we just hold our thoughts and our hearts there. Like we kind of lift our hearts to the Lord and just attend to him. And so that that is contemplation and it's it's often connected with meditating on scripture the way that we used to um so i i actually wrote a book several years ago um that actually rick was kind enough to it to kind of um, endorse for me called form for the glory of god that was on jonathan edwards so early evangelicals views of this kind of stuff like what is spiritual formation about for us 300 years ago and the way they differentiated it was in meditation so like you're let's say you're meditating on scripture 
you're always watchful of your heart. So if I'm meditating on scripture and I'm, my heart's afraid, wow, God, I'm, I'm really afraid here. Like, why would you say that? You know, what, what are you doing there? Why are you, wow, Jesus, you really rebuked that. You called Peter Satan. Like, like, <laughs> and I'm wrestling with it. So there's a wrestling with the self in the presence of God and really a wrestling with God in the midst of this. They would say contemplation is when you leave those things behind. And so if your mind starts to wander, you kind of take it, you show it to the Lord and you put it behind you and you set your mind on God. And so it's a way to, again, what I would say, it's a way to live in reality. When John Calvin talked with the Bible, he used to, he, the, the image he used was that, a, that it was a pair of glasses that you wore. You don't look at scripture, you look through it. And it's actually what stained glass windows used to be used for. Remember, like, you're not supposed to look at the stained glass window. It's a window. <laughs> you look through windows, right? And the goal, the idea was they have these things in them because you're supposed to look through them to see the world. So that when you left church, you looked around and you saw the angels of God reigning on high. You saw the disciples looking down. You saw, like, you, you kind of looked at the world through those lenses contemplation is constantly reminding us of what is true because we walk by faith and not by sight. And so it's helping the vision of my heart and my faith to see the world as it is and to wrestle with the fact, because it will lead me to wrestle with the fact that I don't maybe live that way. God tells me his power is only made perfect in weakness. Well, when I look through that passage of scripture, I also have to go, yeah, but I kind of really want God to have his power made perfect in my strength. <laughs> right. <laughs> so now I got to resonate with it. But, but it, contemplation is setting your minds and hearts on, on the reality of those things. That's awesome. That's beautiful. Beautifully said. Kyle, thank you so much. Thank you for sharing your wisdom with us, your work with us, where prayer becomes real. You guys, again, this is going to be in our show notes. You will have access to this book. It'll be up on our website, saddleback.com slash books. You will know where to find it. But seriously, Kyle, thank you so much. This has been such a helpful, enriching conversation. Oh, yeah, thanks, thanks so much, Kyle. guys. Oh, it's so good being with you both. Bless you guys. Absolutely. Kyle, longtime Saddleback friend. Again, thank you. Listen, you guys, we will be back with you again shortly. As always, we are praying for you and we love you. Talk soon. If you enjoyed this episode, consider giving us a rating or a review on iTunes. If you do, you'll help other people find us in the future. You can also listen to these episodes on YouTube. Just subscribe to the Saddleback Church YouTube channel for these conversations, plus lots of other video content. And if you are already listening to us on YouTube, subscribe to the Doable Discipleship Podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app so you can listen in the car or wherever else you go. Don't forget to visit saddleback.com slash doable to check out all of our previous episodes and go to saddleback.com slash grow to find spiritual growth resources and view a calendar of upcoming events lastly you can always get in touch with us by emailing maturity at saddleback.com send us your thoughts send us your questions your bible questions your life questions whatever who knows your question might just inspire an upcoming episode thanks again for tuning in to doable discipleship i'm jason whelan and i hope you'll join us again next week